What's up, everyone? We're back with another episode of the Dub Jelson Podcast. I have a very special guest today, Sacramento Kings guard, Kyle Guy. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, before we start, I want to shout out Jake Mills and Choir Plumber. Uh, they both helped me uh, secure this. Um, so shout out to both of them. So obviously, we're in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I got it. Um, but it, kind of, it impacted the NBA um, very heavily. You guys ended up going into the bubble. So what was that whole experience like? It was nice. I enjoyed the bubble, actually. Um, I mean, they paid us to golf and fish whenever we wanted. We got to play basketball. We got free meals aside from room service, and the room service was really good. So, like, I, I enjoyed it. I was telling my, my dads and my uncles, like, um, what I was doing, and they were like, I'd do anything to have a month off from watching the kids or whatever. So like it, it was, I enjoyed it. It was definitely very weird. We got tested every day, uh, like every single day. Um, we had to quarantine for three days when we got there. And um, there was some obvious, you know, protocols with the mask wearing and whatnot that we had to um, adhere by, but it, I enjoyed the experience. Mm-hmm. Did How many of your guys just tested positive? Um, none. None? None. I don't, I think there was, well, are you talking about before the bubble? Yeah, but like either way. Uh, well, in the bubble, there was only like seven positives overall in the whole yeah. league. But before there was uh, three of our guys got, um, had gotten it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, d- did you feel like it was easier to perform like on the court and practice things like that? Or was it more difficult? For me, it was kind of the same. Obviously, I don't have a huge role on the on the Sacramento team um, right now, but for me, practice was the same, um, if not more energy, because we were excited to be playing again after four months of nothing. Unless you know you had a secret open gym, there was really no playing going on in any capacity. Um, but I found it more cohesive for the team because there's so much communication during games and when you have fans sometimes you know you can't hear but there wasn't much there was less miscommunication I feel like because we could hear what our teammates were saying and and whatnot during the games and obviously it was weird because we had to you know make our own energy and you know someone got dunked on it wasn't as hype as normal but uh other than that I didn't I didn't mind it at all Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a, a crazy year for you to join the league. Obviously, um, you had a great career at Virginia, and then you come into the league, you play for a little bit, and then everything is kind of blown up. So how have you kind of looked back already on your rookie season? Yeah, I think it's probably the longest rookie season ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the guys who have had two rookie seasons because they got hurt, like this is all just one season, though. It lasted – for me, I mean, I got drafted in June at uh, Summer League in July. So my season started in July, mm-hmm. and we're in October. And technically, I mean, our season's over, but the season is still going on. So um, that was unique. I had a lot more responsibilities, um, rookie responsibilities for a lot longer than most people. But um, I enjoyed the experience. I, I like a good obstacle. Um, so it was uh, cool and unique to, to go through this experience. What kind of things did the guys have you do as a rookie and the other rookies too? Yeah, I, I mean, our team was pretty awesome. They didn't make us do too much, but even just little little tedious things that, like, 
would annoy you annoy you normally like forgetting your phone upstairs so our practice gym is on floor one and then floor two is where our locker room is so you have to run up and stuff and I had to go grab their phones and their chargers and uh, any I had to carry the ball bags every single time we went to practice from the bus and um, nobody made me like uh, carry their luggage or anything like that I would offer sometimes but they would be like no you're good like so I, we, I had a really good, uh, uh, really good vets that were looking out for me. So. That's good. Um, so I had Vincent Edwards on two, two, three months ago now, and he talked about how guys like James Harden, uh, Carmelo, and Chris Paul kind of took them under their wing. Did you have any experiences like that? Yeah, I think uh, Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald um, really looked after me. And then the two Serbians on our team uh, – Bogey and Nemanja, they they definitely – those were like the four guys that definitely administered a lot of help. Trevor Reza, too, for some of the year before he got traded, he was he was an awesome vet, especially because he had been a league seven, just as long as LeBron, like had played for some very good teams, championships, whatever. So um, it was cool to look up to, to those guys. Mm -hmm. Did you have anyone that you kind of like specifically in the bubble where you were – not necessarily playing against them because I know you don't have like that big of a role on the team at this point in your career, uh, but you're just watching them and you're kind of in awe that you're sitting there courtside watching them playing. Against yeah, them. I mean, uh, obviously, I, I actually got in the game against the Lakers, which I wanted to say I'd been on the court with LeBron. Obviously, at that point, he wasn't on the court anymore, but it was cool to uh, watch that game unfold and then get able to be able to get in at the end. But I'd say probably Luca. Um, we played them, and he didn't – on the surface, he didn't play very well against us. But then, in hindsight, I'm looking at the stat sheet. He had 34, 19, and 12. <laughs> and uh, I just was, like, in awe. Um, I honestly don't even remember. I'm pretty sure they won also. But, like, uh, in hindsight, like, watching him, I was obviously impressed with how he – handles the ball and handles the game um but like in hindsight then I went back and watched a little bit more I was like wow this dude is he's legit yeah so yeah he's legit um yeah do you do you kind of try to emulate someone like him or uh, maybe another guy in the league that you looked up to from maybe your high school days or mm -hmm. when you were in college yeah I don't I don't like to look at just one person I like to take a little little bit from everybody so even though I'm not 6'9 250 like LeBron I like his vision I'm not you know I don't have the 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 height or length that Luca does but I like the way he works in pick and roll like Damian Lillard's mindset the way Steph Curry gets a shot off super quickly like JJ Reddick's movement without the ball I like to look at a lot of different people put them together and then you got a a, a perfect basketball player which I'll never be but that's what you strive for mm-hmm and you kind of touched on it a little earlier. You didn't have a huge role um, with the Sacramento team, but you did ball out in the G League. Talk about that experience of being in the G League, and was it frustrating at all to not get that opportunity with the with the Kings? Yeah, obviously it was frustrating. You had it's it's an ebbs and flows process, um, but that's you know that's why I got into this business is to to prove myself right, prove other people wrong, like. Uh, really just stay true to who I am and I'm, I'm, I try to be humble and I try to just outwork everybody and I've always had to take the hard way at every single level I've been 
it's never been given to me. So I've always had to work for it. And I take pride in that. So I didn't mind not getting the opportunities. Obviously, it was frustrating and I wanted them. But I and that's why I feel like I played so well in the G League is because I was taking it personal and um, just really trying to make the most of, of those opportunities because they do pay attention. They, they don't come to a whole lot. They came to a few, but like they're the analytics guys and the, and the GM, they are watching at all times. So do you, do you think that's why you kind of had so much success in the G League because you're trying to prove it to the, to the team? Yeah, and I don't want to put too much emphasis on like, screw you guys, I'm good enough. Yeah, yeah. You should see this, but it's more like a, I have a chip on my shoulder and this fire that like, I just want to help the team and I want them to see that I can help the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think it was different from the college games? Honestly, the only difference aside from moving the three-point line, but obviously besides like the rules part of it, um, it's just everybody's better. Like everybody's – it doesn't matter how good a defense you play, they're probably still going to score. Uh, everyone's a little quicker. Uh, everyone's a little faster, a little stronger. The gameplay is pretty much the same speed. Um, how hard everyone plays is the same. Um, I hear a lot of people like don't think that the NBA plays defense, but that's not true. One, the offense is just that superior, yeah. but two, it's like, okay, yeah, LeBron didn't get back on one play, but it's the 65th game. It's their fifth game on a two week road trip. And it's the third quarter with four minutes left. He's probably not going to run back on defense if he knows the other team's going to score. Like, mm-hmm. so those are the things that stand out to people. And I'm like, well, if you, you're just looking at one chapter of the book. If you read the whole story, you'd be like, okay, I get why he didn't run back on that one play. And I don't know why there's a bunch of sticklers out there. that just think like he, he like certain NBA players don't play defense when in reality that's not. Cause my practices, we honestly practice defense barely less than we did at Virginia. Like obviously Virginia is known for defense. So that was a huge staple of practice, but in the NBA, at least with the Kings, we we were on defense 90% of the days. Mm-hmm. How do you think that playing those three years at Virginia, how did that help you uh, for when you ultimately came to the league? Yeah, I, I mean, just having Coach Bennett as a leader, having uh, my seniors all, all three years um, was incredible. Um, my, my teammates, it was just a lot of fun. And it took the pressure off of trying to make it or be good because I, I already knew we were going to be good. We trusted each other. We came in together. We made goals together. We were uh, a very tight-knit group. And um, I just think, you know, the, the lingo and, and the defensive principles that I learned in Virginia have helped me uh, at the next level. And then all the offensive uh quick hitters and the way to get my shot off a little quicker and um all the things I learned from Ty and Dre and Coach Bennett and the whole staff like that that definitely played a part into why I felt like I was thriving at, at in the G League. You talked about Coach Bennett I think he's top three in college basketball as far as coaches obviously I'm a Purdue guy I'm gonna have to go painter with one um mm-hmm. but but Coach Bennett's right up there. What do you think makes him such a great leader? I think it's just how genuine he is and how he doesn't treat anybody differently. Like, 
the one recruiting pitch he gave me that none of the other coaches did. Everyone said like, they did, maybe they didn't all promise me something, but they were in some way saying like, you're, you're going to play here. And coach Bennett said, I think you can be great and I can help you get to where you want to be, but you will earn everything. I'm not giving you anything. I'm not promising that you're going to play a second for me. And I was really drawn to that. Cause again, I've always had to go through the back door um, at every level. And so I was just, that was very appealing to me. And, uh, I think that's one of the ways I can go on and on, write a book about why he's different, but that's what, why I was drawn to him. Mm-hmm. So is that safe to say that's why you picked Virginia? And what other factors um, played into that decision, um, choosing Virginia over schools like IU, Purdue, Michigan, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll be happy to know that I grew up wanting to go to IU. Um, I wanted to wear the candy stripe pants. Like that was assembly hall. I grew up going to games a lot. Um, I, I went to a lot of Butler games too. And when Brad Stevens was there and he was recruiting me, I really wanted to go there too. But um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that's why I went there. He was just so different, so genuine and transparent. He uh, just wanted the best for me. He saw a lot of himself in me, which is always good when a coach can, uh, really emulate uh, the way he sees you on an everyday basis. Um, he played in the NBA. He is a great three-point shooter, the best in college history to this day still. Uh, I don't want to hear anything about Jimmer, Steph. They're fantastic shooters. Steph's probably the best shooter ever, but in in the course of one college season, no one's ever shot better than, than Tony Bennett. So I, I, there were just so many things that drew me to him. Mm-hmm. And obviously, your time at Virginia ended off on the highest note possible. You had some up and downs, obviously. Um, you guys were the first team to lose to a 16 seed. So talk about that whole experience and that journey from that low moment of being the only number one seed to lose to a 16 seed NCAA tournament to the next season, the next season being NCAA champions. Yeah, I think – Again, not to make this a, a Tony Bennett podcast, but like the way he led us from that defeat, like was just reaffirming as to why I chose the right school. Like he didn't let us shy away from it or or let it define us. He found the perfect medium of how we're going to use it to make us better. And I honest to God believe that if we don't lose that game, we don't win the next year. Um, and, you know, that game – just honestly just hats off to UMBC. Like they just had a, a game plan and it worked. They had a really quick guard and some shot makers and the fans were all rooting for them too. And it was just like a, a perfect storm. And uh, all the adjustments we made didn't really matter. And, you know, sometimes you can't, you can't go against the basketball gods. And so um, it was, it was tough. Obviously there was, death threats and your own university talking behind your back and like just a lot going on, not university officials, but like students. And, um, you know, you don't want you a little bit, not, not depressed, but just like, you're just freaking upset and sad all the time for the next two to three weeks. Um, and everyone's talking about you making jokes or whatnot, your memes everywhere. So like, there's nowhere to go to escape it, which was that sucked, but I'm glad that we went through it because, you know, the next year we're losing to a 16 seed again at halftime. And it was like, okay, well, we've been here, so we'll figure it out. And we did. So that's surprising that you get, well, 
I mean, I don't put it past anyone, but the death threats thing really uh, is kind of shocking to me. I don't know how, I guess people just don't really vocalize that because they don't want to give those people attention, but how prevalent was that for you guys? Yeah, it was as soon as the game was over. We, um, we always had police escorts to the hotel and from the hotel to the gym, from the gym. Like that's every college for the most part. And we got there and uh, for some reason we didn't go on through the front and they were taking us around back. And uh, one of our coaches came to the back and said, Hey, there's some death threats. So we're going to go in through the kitchen. Like it was like straight from the movie. We're going through the kitchen. Like we just lost. Everyone's upset. Uh, individual police officer took us up every single floor and we held the elevator while they walked a player to their room. Um, I think I, they they did a little investigation. It was just some gamblers that, that uh, bet on us to win it all, and we lost them some money, which, you know, that's – sorry. I don't, I don't really care. But, like – and then it's honestly even more fun that they gave us death threats. And then I guarantee they didn't pick us to win it the next year, so they probably lost money again. So <laughs> – uh, yeah, but so you talked about kind of like the people at the the students specifically at, at Virginia kind of talking behind your guys' back. I I know you guys don't see that firsthand maybe, but like as a student when we're walking home from like obviously Purdue doesn't have a great uh, football history. Uh, we're walking back from the stadium after we get blown out by Wisconsin or whoever. There's a lot of crap talking that goes on. Um, so I can understand that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so talk, the next season, obviously, you guys won the, the championship. Talk about that that whole run. I mean, it was it was crazy. Obviously, you guys beat Purdue, which bummed me out. But talk about that whole experience. <laughs> well, I'll get to the Purdue game because that was probably, I think, one of the best college basketball games of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm honest to God, if I was just a fan watching and I had nothing invested, I would agree. I'm trying not to be biased, but um, we'll, Garner-Webb, we're down at halftime again. They These 16 seeds, man, they just have nothing to lose, and they just play harder, and we're not overlooking them. We're respecting them, and they just – when they play hard, it was, again, probably a, more of a home crowd for them. I don't know how this keeps happening in NCAA, but they just had – and everyone's also everyone's rooting for them, especially because we had already lost. So even the schools that were playing, like Duke – played before us and Central Florida and all them, like they were playing before us. So like those schools were jumping on the bandwagon for Gardner Webb and we're down at halftime and it's whatever, but um, we came back, won that game. DeAndre played fantastic. Ty picked it up in the second half. I did not shoot well the first uh, three games of the tournament. And so we move on to Oklahoma. Uh, we played really well as a unit that night. I still didn't shoot well. Um, and I think everyone – I mean, if you look at the box score, I'm pretty sure it was like just – I think Mamadi played well, but I think it was just like 15, 12, 10, 6, 6, 6, 4, 2. Like it was just mm-hmm. a good overall team win, um, and we played really good defense. Um, and then we go to Oregon. It was a very ugly game. I didn't shoot well again. They're playing this zone. Um, and Kihei Clark, their game plan, I know for a fact. I know Peyton Pritchard. I know uh, Bull Bull. Like I know – Luke King, I know guys on that team, and they were going to let Kihei shoot. And that was their mistake. They didn't – they hadn't seen the work that he had put in, which 
no one did but us. And he was ready for that moment. And he hit like three threes. He was talking shit to the bench. Like it was awesome. Uh, the smallest guy out there just has the most courage and the biggest heart. And um, he willed us to that win. It was like 52-49. It was a gross game. Then the beautiful game, Purdue. First, I don't know, 18 minutes of the game. Still not sh- I'm still not shooting it well. And then I sprained my ankle. Uh, Klein's my buddy. He accidentally stepped on my foot, and it just, like, rolled, just like a freak accident. And I heard it pop, and I was really scared. I was like, oh, crap, like, this is how I'm not going to play the rest of the season, like, seriously. Um, And I go, and I get it retaped, and I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to play on it anyways. Um, I don't remember. All I remember is it was 90% Purdue was there. It was all black. Everyone was wearing a black Purdue shirt. There was probably 8% Virginia, just our section behind the bench, and then 2% just random fans. Mm-hmm. And the loudest gym I've ever been in, um, they were going crazy. Klein hits a three to open up the game. Uh, Carson is just automatic in the first half, whatever. We go to the second half. I finally find my rhythm. Hats off to Ty kept and Kihei. They just kept finding him even though I wasn't shooting well. And had a big second half. And Carson at this point is unconscious. He's not it's not even funny. Like we're playing if you look at the Dave, he probably had two open shots all night and he missed one of them. And the rest was as good a defense as you can ask for, especially the one where he like drove right, went behind the back and hit the back uh bank yeah. shot for mm-hmm. three on Kihei. That was what we're gonna do. Like and Coach even said after, he said, I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that live. Like, like where it doesn't matter what you do, he's going to score. Um, so hats off to Carson. That's my boy also, which is dope. But then we get to the end of the game. And these last three games, I always said to myself, I was like, all right, there's no way where this is it. This is no way. Because every game we had like less than a 10% chance to win during the final stretch. And I'm just like, this isn't how it ends. This isn't how it ends. And I, I didn't, I don't know if I truly believed it at the moment, but I wanted to. And so I would say that we're down. I don't know. Me and Carson are going back a little bit, um, back and forth a little bit. He hits a crazy, I hit a three and then he hits a crazy three. And I gave him like a thumbs up as I took the ball out. Like we were going at it in a friendly manner. It was kind of dope. And um, we get to the end uh, I miss a box out. Grady Eifert gets the rebound. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just lost this the game. I don't remember the time or anything, but they get it, get it to Klein. Klein gets fouled. And I'm like, wow, well, this is – we just lost the game. And we were down one. And Klein uh, either hits the first or the second. I remember. But he went one for two. And in my mind, I know Klein from Indiana. We played the same AU team. Like, he's one of the best shooters I've been around. I was like, there's no way he's missing this and so he did he missed one we get it um ty gets actually we're down three at that point sorry and ty gets fouled hits the first and he swears by it he didn't mean to miss the second one and coach subbed him amity for a tip in or tip out whatever we hadn't practiced it um and ty missed it go down kihei gets it Throws a rifle dart to Mamadi. He scores. I thought we won. And if you hear the announcer, 
he said we won too. And I was going crazy because I didn't realize the score. Um, and so we go into overtime. We ended up winning, uh, I don't know, 82-79 maybe, something like that. Really close game. Awesome. Carson at 43, like it was just an awesome overall game. There was defense. There was offense. There was hype. There was overtime. It was everything. Then um, Final Four comes. We're playing Auburn. Um, and they're just a tough group. And um, we uh, played really well. Um, and they just kept punching back. We went up like it was crazy. We went up like six with like five minutes left. And Ty gets his fourth foul. Coach takes him out. And we're down eight like within two minutes. They put him in. We claw back. We get it back. And uh, we're down one. Jared Harper gets fouled. Uh, hits the first. Misses the second. We call. There's a foul or a timeout or something. So we run this out-of-bounds play that uh, is, is where I get fouled and stuff. And um, we'd run this play all year. I don't know how teams never really – I don't not not stop it because it's not really a play you can stop, but you can like deny certain parts of it. Um, the first part is the loop for for Mamadi or Jay or whoever we wanted, um, and then the next part is for me to come off, and then the last part's hit Dre at the elbow. And so the guy was top blocking me, so I didn't actually go over the screen. I went under and caught it, shot it. He got under me. I get fouled and have these three free throws to take us to the championship, which every kid dreams of, especially in Indiana. All you do is free play basketball and pretend to be Kobe or, you know, don't get caught watching the fence, the paint dry, like all this stuff, Hoosiers, whatever. And so I carried that with me to the free throw line. I'm like, look, man, I've been, I've been dreaming of this my entire life. I think about all the bad and good things that have happened in my career and my life. And then I'm like, there's 85,000 people here, 10 million watch it on TV at least. Like, why not you? So I go up, I nail the first two, they call timeout and trying to ice me and my teammates like really hyped trying to, cause I tied it and they're like really hyped trying to hype me up. And I'm like, dude, I want nothing to do with you guys. I'm going to go over here. You guys figure out what the game plan is. I had no idea what we were doing if I made or missed. I didn't know. I didn't want to know cause I was going to make it. Mm -hmm. So I made it. And you, if you watch, as soon as I make it, I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I go at him? Do I run back? I don't know. So I just like, I'm a madman, just kind of walking in circles. They heave it, I run down, and then they throw up, and it, it didn't go in. So we won that. That was awesome. And then um, Texas Tech, they're very similar to us. They play defense. They're scrappy, um, but they can score the ball too, um, like we can. And, you know, they got Culver. They got Mooney. They got uh, uh, David, the shooter, and they, uh, they came out. We played well again. Uh, we go into halftime, uh, you know, tie hit a buzzer beater three. Or maybe not buzzer beater, but there's like one second left. Um, we have the momentum. And somehow, again, in the second half, we go down like eight with like three minutes left um, after going on a run. Usually we went up like six or seven, and they were just going to 10 on run. We call a timeout, and they go on a four-hour run, and then we call a timeout, and it's like, okay, we're down eight again. Um, and so we just kept – uh, grinding again I'm telling myself there's no way this is how it ends or whatever and uh, DeAndre played phenomenal that game we uh, run a play where I screen 
uh, I was supposed to screen one guy, but they both came. So, like, not a moving screen, but I, like, hit him and then stuck my – I, like, hit two guys at once. And he hits the three. It's tied. They go down. Braxton blocks the shot to go into overtime. So, we're looking at two overtimes in a matter of one week. Um, and one of them was a, you know, last second free throw. So we're looking at things that take years off my life, um, for being a part of, and over time we just, uh, hunkered down. We played phenomenal defense. We scored, we got fouled and, and we ended up winning 85, 77. And that, that moment was the, one of the best moments of my life. Like the elation of just winning it all redeeming ourselves proving everybody wrong or right depending on your 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 belief in us and um it was just one of the greatest two-year turnaround or year turnaround ever and one of the greatest last three games of a tournament i think there's ever ever been Mm -hmm. um obviously after you guys beat us um i was me and my boys were rooting for you we're all from india so we wanted you to win it um and i think I think a lot of Purdue fans wanted you guys to win it just to say, hey, we lost to the champ. We didn't lose to a runner-up or whatever. Um, right. But like I said, you're an indie kid. Um, so talk about the the basketball culture here and kind of your experiences going through AAU and um, the high school. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like it. I try to explain to people, like all my teammates that aren't from, like all my dude is just – there's no better basketball state from top to bottom, side to side in terms of there's just good coaches. Every player is capable. Like, like we may not have all the, you know, best players in the country, but like from top to bottom, every kid, you know, there's so many kids that go D2, D3, NAIA that are capable of playing and can get buckets. And there's a lot of good coaches and, you just it's literally just live and breathe basketball man it it really is like and everyone's diehard fans in general so like there's diehard Colts fans and there's diehard basketball fans and they mesh well together and so I mean if you go anywhere that isn't city there's going to be a basketball uh hoop on a barn Mm -hmm. uh, or on a lamppost whatever if you're in the city and you're you can afford it you have a hoop in your backyard and if you can't the the parks are always packed like it's just or the gyms everyone's always coordinating an open gym or something like it's just the coolest experience for me because I loved basketball so much and then on top of that you know the AU is really good because Indiana Elite or Gym Rats uh, Spice like EG10 like we had really good teams um, and then high school is bar none the best ever just the, the, it's always packed every gym is big um except for the private schools and those are still fun because they pack out and everyone is excited the whole time it's just there's just nothing like it man as you can attest mm-hmm. i remember i think i was a sophomore when you were a senior so i think you're two years older than me so we had baseball practice at noblesville and it was like during the winter obviously Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, hey, Kyle Guy's playing in the – playing doubles right now. You guys want to go watch? So we went and watched, and you, your first shot – I'm kind of embarrassed by it. Your first shot, I, like, got these little, like, goosebumps when you shot it. I don't know why. It was just like – Did I make it? I think so. I think you guys whooped us, I'm pretty sure. Um, no, we did, but I don't even know if I played all that well. But I don't, yeah. I don't remember. But I do remember going there, and then – I don't know if you remember this, but – it was right before halftime, probably like 
40 seconds left. You know how um, high school basketball doesn't have the shot clocks. So you guys are holding it for the last shot. And my cousin's McGuire Plummer, and you're, sit, you're standing in the corner, and he went and put his head in your, in your chest. And I just remember your face. It was the funniest thing. You were so pissed off. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. Oh, my God. I don't – did I do anything or did I just make a face? You were like – you were like – like that. But I don't, re- I don't remember, like, if you ended up shooting that possession or what. But I, I, I – That's funny, though. That's funny. That was your cousin? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first time, you know, a student section trying to get in my head. So. But yeah. That's dope. Mm-hmm. So – uh, one thing I wanted to touch on earlier, but um, I didn't want to stop you, is obviously you've played against and with so many great players um, at the high school level and college level. Who's the best person you played with and the best person you played against? College, no doubt, is just Ty and Dre. It's a tie. They're like just unbelievable. Obviously, both in the NBA with the Suns and the Lakers, or not the Lakers. He got drafted by the Lakers, but, but with the Hawks. Um, and they're just some of the best basketball players I've ever been around. Um, high school, I played with uh, Makai Biffle. He ended up going to uh, University of Tampa. He's very skilled. Um, but against high school, probably Trey Lyles when he was at Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Brown in, in AAU, he was – dominant just dominant and then uh, and then probably bam and dennis smith they they were on the same team they were really good too so those are probably the high school guys and then in college man jason tatum and zion those are the best two I've, <laughs> I, that we've gone against we i mean as if you look at our track record we probably let like four in my three years we probably let four or five guys pop off against us mm-hmm and they've had 20 and stuff, but I mean, like, 28 game winners, 30 or more. Like, Carson was obviously the best ever performance, but then Zion did it to us twice and just was – you couldn't stop him. And then Jason Tatum, man, uh, we were we were for sure going to win that game, and he just – the last six minutes down the stretch just freaking – I think he ended with 30, and he just played so well. We were playing good defense, and he just – it didn't matter. And – uh those are, those are probably the, the best in, in college. And then, like I said, in the bubble, Luca was probably one of the most impressive um, that I saw. Uh, was it the game? I don't know if Duke was playing you guys or not, but Zion basically – you blocked like a three-point shot. Was that against you guys? What At you think you saw too. that? that was- I saw that. I was, at, I was at the top of the key. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because, like, it wasn't like it was a slow yeah. release or, like, he took forever. It was Dre. He caught it. He just went straight up, and he jumped. He had one foot was in the in the paint, and he blocked it. And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and I remember like telling Dre, like I always joked with Dre during the games, and he didn't like it, but I did anyways. And I was like, "You have to shoot that a little quicker next time, bud." <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't believe like the, his athleticism for being how like big and stocky he is, and how he was so fast. The first time we played him, I was like running behind him. And he ended up dunking on my teammate, Jay Huff, and got an one. But I'm running behind him without the ball, like, trying to tip it. And I couldn't catch him. And I'm like, this dude right here is a freak. And so, but, yeah. Yeah, he's from another planet, honestly. Um, yeah. 
So I saw the other day, um, Jake posted a picture with you um, at the golf outing. So talk about the Kyle Guy Foundation and uh, what, what all that's about. Yeah, so I started a foundation. It's not um, actually a foundation. It's just, it's just what it's called. And it just kind of – the point of it is I don't like being tied down to one cause because I think the world has so many problems. And I want to be a catalyst and a, and a kind of springboard to be able to um, have no limitations and spread money and donations wherever it needs to go. And so our, our main objective is just to serve others and help and, and unify the, the world. And so um, I had a golf outing. Um, everyone who participated had an option to choose what their cause they want to support. So it was $155 per person. And they um, could just give it to the foundation and I get to choose what to do with it. They could choose veterans, human trafficking, social injustice, racial injustice, uh, cancer, disaster relief, whatever they wanted. Um, and so we had a great turnout. We raised over $30,000. Um, and uh, obviously Jake, Jake was there. Uh, his team didn't do as good as he thought they were going to do. He's talking a lot. But, um, <laughs> but it was a great turnout and um, super appreciative. And, and grateful to be able to have this platform to kind of uh, funnel donations to uh, people in need. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, what, what other things are you going to try to do within it? Um, how, how are you planning to grow it and all that, all that stuff? Yeah. So we're, we're working on a website right now. Um, we, we set up the golf outing. Usually it takes 10 months minimum to set up. We did it in two and a half months, which was, I was so proud of my, my, my family and friends and, everyone who volunteered to help. That was awesome. We got sponsors on late notice. Um, and w- w- what I want to do, obviously we'll do the golf outing every year. I'm having, I'm was supposed to have a, a basketball camp this year, which some of that proceeds will go to um, the charity. And um, I want to have like a celebrity softball event at victory field in Indianapolis. Like that would be awesome. Like a, just like stuff like that. And w- We'll always be active on social media, which I'm also setting up at the moment. I have it set up, but I just don't have anything like to post at the moment. So like <laughs> just getting the infrastructure ready to kind of go uh, broader and viral with it so that um, like anytime there's a hurricane or a pandemic or whatever, we can just post on um, social media. Here's how you donate and and so forth. So. Um, we're not, again, no limitations in what we support and no limitations on the, what we can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're about to run out of time, but the last thing I wanted yeah. to ask you, obviously, um, recently in the past few months, this kind of the last six months maybe, um, we've seen a lot of racial injustice. And you and, and your teammates, the whole NBA as a whole, have been very vocal about um, creating change. Um, so talk a little bit about that and why you feel that you should use your platform for that. Yeah, I just think, again, like you said, the platform that I have, I influence people. And if we're being honest, most of the people I'm influencing are younger white males in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably in Virginia. Those are like the, the main two people that you know follow me and, and support me. Not that there's not others, but that's probably the main group. And I wanted to make sure that I made a stand and that nobody, because we had a, an option of, or we had a choice of so many options, what to put on our jersey. 
So we could do education reform, equality, whatever. But I put Black Lives Matter because I didn't want anyone asking questions or having to ask a question like, mm -hmm. oh, he did education reform, but what did he, like, why didn't he do X, Y, Z? Does he support it? I wanted to make sure that people knew. And I took a knee. My dad's in the military. My uncle's in the military. Like, I have so much military. And, and, and I think people that think that taking a knee is a disrespect to the flag or military just don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know what it actually means. And that's fine. They're just going to keep being upset and people are going to keep doing it because they don't care. And I don't care if people think that I'm disrespecting the flag because I know I'm not. And so that is why I did the, the, the things that I did and why I was beyond glad to support my teammates. Mm -hmm. Well, I know a lot of us are super proud of you, especially from Indiana. Yeah. Um, Appreciate it. We're about to run out of time, but I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on. It was truly an honor to talk to you. Um, if you ever need any help getting your word out about the foundation, let me know. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure.